for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Steve Bro, Serious Questions with Silly People. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Uh, thanks for downloading this podcast. I'm so excited. I have like the best episode uh, in store for you today. Um, I was reunited. I met this woman briefly. Like, you know, you meet people in dark comedy clubs and you, you don't see people's faces in daylight. And um, we were united in Denver, and she did a guest set on uh, one of my shows, and um, we got to talking, and she has a fantastic story that we will get to. We're going to discuss resentment today. Resentment, as the French say. And who doesn't have um, enough of those? <laughs> uh, but, but first, if you want to, to help my show, please shop through my Amazon banner. What that means is go to thatsdeeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner underneath the blog post there, and um, it'll help. It'll help kick back some shekels when you do your shopping as you normally would on Amazon. And in fact, to make your life easier, I would just say bookmark that shit, bros. Like, go go find the link and just bookmark it so you never have to uh, think about it uh, ever again. There you go. Other than that, um, you know, because I'm preggers. Oh, oh, I'm going to Montreal Comedy Festival July 20th through 25th. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be doing your mom's house there and I'll be doing some stand up. So if you live in Montreal, uh, come out and see me and my husband, Tom Segura. And then also one night in Toronto, the T dot, I'm going to be doing stand up at the Just for Laughs there on, um, I believe, the 26th of July. Busy month, man. I'm so excited. We're moving studios at the end of the week. I work out of my home. We're getting a new studio. It's going to be fucking uh, rad. We don't have to worry about dogs chewing things as I'm trying um, to live my life and do stuff. All right. So my guest today is Amber Tozer. You can find her on Twitter at Amber Tozer. That's A-M-B-E-R-T-O-Z-E-R. And also go to her Facebook page. Um, and you can learn more about this wonderful person who we will be getting to shortly. Follow me on Twitter at Christina P. Uh, thousandranch.com for any stand-up related. There's like something on this microphone stuff. And, uh, and yeah. I think that's it. I think I got all the business out of the way. Let's get to it. Let's get to resentment. Oh, it's such a fun topic, isn't it? Last week was shame. Was it shame last week? <laughs> no, I don't know. I know. Shame, isolation. Oh, I love it. This show is going dark. Why not? It's summertime. Why be happy all the time? All right, let's do this. Well, hi, Amber. Hi. <laughs> Thanks Hello. for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I I just love you so much. I fell in love with you uh, in Denver when you told me the book that you're working on. Aw, thanks. Would you tell our listeners? Because I think it's so, it's so rad. I am working on a book called Sober Stick Figure, and it's, an, it's a memoir about my alcoholism, and it's sort of... Uh, it's sort of like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but for adults. So <sighs> it's a it. mix of text and illustrations, and I'm drawing these 
horrible stick figures to go <laughs> along with the stories. So yeah, and I'll hopefully it'll be out in uh, spring of 2016, published by Running Press. That's huge, man. Thanks. Congratulations. It's wonderful. I'm I am so excited and it just sort of it fell out of the sky. I tweeted a joke about needing a job <laughs> and it sort of led to writing this book. Isn't that amazing? I that's how stuff happens. You know, I I found in my life the uh, you can't make shit happen. You know, Tony Robbins will tell you to get out there and make it happen, but it's really that's not how things in my life have ever really come about. It's always the phone call out of the blue. Yeah. The person you meet at the airport, whatever random series of events. And I feel like everything that is good that has ever happened to me, like the two good things that have ever <laughs> happened to me. It's yes. when I- <laughs> positive, Amber. There we go. Only two good right. things ever. <laughs> no. No, a lot. Uh, but it was when I was just like not expecting it. I had surrendered. I had reached like some sort of dark spot where I was like, you know what? I don't fucking care anymore. I don't care what happens to me. And then something good happens. That's always how it goes. Like I, every time I've ever wanted to quit stand up comedy, I've been like, all right, God, that's it. I'm fucking out, man. Yeah. And then you get a phone call. And they're like, do you want to do ba-ba-ba? And you're like, oh, man, just when I thought I was out. Do you want to quit sometimes? Oh, every few months, yeah. But I think that's normal. I think many of us go through that of just like, all right, how much more can I take? I know. The longer you do it and the less you get in return. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that or not doing it right. Like... I think I learned that there are certain venues I shouldn't do anymore, a certain length of time I shouldn't be away from my house because it's not good for my mental well-being. Yeah. You, you know, you got to structure it the way you like doing it. Otherwise, you melt down and uh, that ain't cool. I think it goes with anything that you do, though. Isn't there a breaking point? Even with shit that you love doing, you're like, all right, I, can't, I, I quit. I can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, you just get so inside your head about it. And like it, once it becomes the same, the same, the same, the same. That, well, for me anyway, I'm like. Yeah. But then you give up and then something yeah. cool happens. Oh, you always got to give up. You have to beat your breaking give point. There's <laughs> <laughs> something to that. I don't know why, but. Oh, God, I just had a bowl of chili. Okay. <laughs> so today's topic is resentment. Resentment, as the French like to say. And uh, I swear to God, that is how they say it. Um. And uh, it starts with Kierkegaard. They, people say Kierkegaard is the first one to use the term resentment, resentment. <laughs> um, Soren Kierkegaard was a Christian philosopher, and I don't, you know, I'm not totally um, into that type of philosophy, but I, I like, um, I like him. He's hard as shit to read. I, I don't recommend it being a fun read. He has this great idea, though, of taking a leap of faith when it comes to faith, meaning like you can't really reason your way. You just have to like, all right, go for it. God exists or whatever. Anyway, he starts with resentment. Uh, resentment occurs, he says, in a, quote, reflective, passionless age. I'm not even sure what that means. But basically, uh, it's where the masses, they use the word masses a lot back in that time. The masses like to squelch the, uh, the passion of the individual. Um, he argues that individuals who do not conform to the masses are made scapegoats and objects of ridicule by the masses in order to maintain status quo and to instill into the masses their own sense of superiority, which I think still applies today. I mean, we love to pick out and scapegoat people, don't we? To oh, hate yeah. and loathe. Like Kim Kardashian, I think, is a really good target right now. I fall into it. I resent her sometimes. It's funny. I I don't care. I'm lucky because I don't care. Like, I don't... <laughs> I care about what everyone else thinks about her, but I don't care about her. Like, it's, sure. it's one of those where... Like, I don't know, Kim. I don't know her either. I think Maybe I, we should I, go to lunch with her. Yeah, I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> I think I resent what she stands for, which is just yeah. like vapid, empty, doesn't stand for anything except just looks. You're like, oh, that's a you big ass. You're hot. Right. Yeah. And then you're super, super, she's super wealthy on top of it, which like, oh, that makes me want to kill myself. <sighs> anyways. Uh, so anyways, resentment. We brought this idea up. If you didn't hear the episode I did on Nietzsche, uh, the genealogy of morals, uh, Nietzsche starts with the foundation of resentment. It's from, you know, uh, uh, so in the genealogy of morals, the idea of what's good and what's bad gets flipped because the people who are powerless blame the powerful for having power over them. 
And so they go, you know what? Fuck the king. The king is bad and I'm good. I'm noble because I'm the meek and the meek inherit the earth. And that's how you got, uh, essentially that's what Nietzsche says caused Christianity, (laughs) how that morality started of like the meek shall inherit the earth, which is, which is patently false because the powerful inherit the earth. If you look at history, (laughs) look at Bill Gates, uh, that guy is not meek and he owns a ton of shit. Um, but I find this idea really interesting about resentment. Resentment comes from reactiveness. The weaker someone is, the less their capability to suppress reaction. According to Nietzsche, the more a person is active, strong-willed, and dynamic, the less place and time is left for contemplating all that is done to them, and their reactions become less compulsive. The reaction of a strong-willed person when it happens is ideally a short action. It is not a prolonged. In other words, you're not living in a reactionary fashion. I don't know if you watch Orange is the New Black. I do. <laughs> There's this great um, scene with Piper and her fiance, Larry, in like season two. And Larry wants to, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Wants to write articles about her being in prison. And she says to him, hey, stop being my moon. In other words, I'm the sun and you're just taking what's being reflected onto you and using that as your identity stop sucking my soul man yeah (laughs) and i think there's something to that because when you're defining yourself in reaction to somebody else which is essentially what resentment is for instance uh well it's called uh, when you define yourself via negativa in philosophy in philosophy they use that term it's a fancy word when they try to define what god was they didn't you can't say what god is you don't know the properties of what god is but you can say what he isn't and so that's how you define God via negativa. You describe it by what it is not. And when you're reactionary, when you're in resentment, don't you kind of define yourself against what that person isn't? Like, for instance, my mother, who I talk about on the show, <laughs> ad nauseum, that's another philosophy term. Uh, you know, for many years, I defined myself in resentment against her, right? If my mother liked red nail polish, I would wear pink. If my mother right. liked purple, I would like black. Um, and that's not really defining yourself because then I'm just a moon in essence. I'm defining myself in reaction to somebody else. And you were resenting her be- for things that she wasn't, for the things that she didn't, like you focused on what she didn't give you. Yeah, exactly. Or, and I, I would actually blame her for um, how I turned out. Like, for instance, um, I'm such a loser because I had such a bad mom. You right. know, oh, I'm bad at, I'm bad at this because of my mother. Or I can't, I'm you know, you just, you blame, I blame my parents for how I turned out instead of assuming responsibility. Cause there's a point in your life where you have to assume responsibility for who you are and stop playing the victim. Right. And yeah. you probably just developed certain skills as a kid that worked for you when you were in that house <sighs> and then they don't it. work anymore. They don't get older. <laughs> I want my old behaviors to work. <laughs> right. Your survival skills. Yeah. But the but my my survival skill actually did work. I became a workaholic and I and that works, unfortunately. So that's yeah. been my problem of like, oh, not everything is about trying to be successful and try to mm, work through this. I just channeled everything into into work. And it worked. It did, unfortunately. That's what my therapist says. That, <laughs> that unfortunately, my coping mechanism was pretty effective. <laughs> like, well, you know, the, how unhealthy is that then? It can be. It's pretty bad. Um, sorry, my husband just landed and he's frantically texting me. Uh, he's so, so he annoying. Don't you hate him? <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming. Let me go. Let me see him. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And no, it worked out for me. That's a problem. So, but it's not good for you because then your life only becomes measured by success or failure. And that's not positive either because I would identify with my failure. So instead of being like, Hey, I fucked that thing up or I, I did bad. I would go, I am bad. Like there was right. no distinction between me and the behavior. And that's scary. Because you're so attached to the that identity of yeah. success. Yeah. And because I had apparently uh, not a good sense of self-esteem. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So what's your story, Amber? Let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? What's your deal? Um, I grew up in Pueblo, Colorado, which is about an hour and a half south of Denver. 
lower middle class town, pretty ugly, but a lot of nice people. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, uh, I was a, my parents owned a bar growing up, and my dad became. Do you want like the sad stuff? Yeah, you, no, like, I, we love like, that here. That's what this is all about. And well, my dad became like this manic depressive guy who never came out of the bedroom and my mom turned into a workaholic. Hey, so I had these two examples of like the man who never left the bedroom and this woman who just was like working to make sure that the bills were paid. And um, there were three, three kids. Well, my sister was born when I was seven, so I had to take care of her a lot while my mom was out working. That's fun, too, right? To get to be a parent at the age of seven? Yeah, when they're actually in the bedroom, like being, they're like right there. So they could have parented. Right. But they're like, nah. Like, open the door and get us some snacks. But I but I sort of liked it when you're a kid. You're like, oh, my God, I have this baby. Like, as a girl, you know what I mean? Like a baby doll. Sure. That's why you're, so I was like... When he would try to come out and be like, I'll put her to bed. I was like, no, I got it. I became the sort of like bossy. I became the bossy wife in the house. <laughs> right. So you adapted to that sick, the sickness. Yeah. And your mom, it sounds like kind of covered for your dad too, or enabled that whole dynamic too. I think it was, a. she was like trying to make sure that the business was okay and just needing to get out of the house. Like it was partly selfish and partly necessary sure to keep everything right and she was young she got married when she was 19 oh that's always the mistake isn't it and it's so funny because when we were talking about like resentments and stuff i think i resented her because she's just a workaholic and she didn't have any she wasn't she didn't ever seem upset but she didn't ever seem okay she just was always straight-faced and yeah working survival And, and i always resented her for that but i mean if I was like 28 with three kids and an alcoholic fa- husband who never came out of the bedroom. I would be, um, I don't know. But when you're little, you don't think you you don't have empathy. You're not no. you're not able to put yourself in in her shoes. So, um, but yeah, when writing this book, I talk about my parents a lot. I mean, it's a story. I end up moving to New York by myself and drinking my face off. I was like a good kid, good grades, three sport athlete, college what? athlete. So you did everything right. Oh yeah. Quote unquote. And then what happened? I, th- I don't, I think I was, I always wanted to be bad. You know, I was always like attracted to the darkness, but I liked getting positive attention and I was afraid of doing things wrong because my dad was sort of mean and my mom was sort of not strict, but just harsh. So it felt good to get the positive feedback. So I got good grades and I liked sports. I happened to be pretty athletic. So I liked that. Thank God. Thank God. And um, and I had like a lot of energy. So it was good that I just was able to, to run and like throw balls around. Um, but then I, then I was a college athlete and it started to get a little dark there because – I didn't want to play anymore, but I got a scholarship. So I was doing it for the money, but I hated it. I hated mm. school. I hated sport. I was just ready to, to explore and, and not be so disciplined because I felt like I was in boot camp from the age of seven. Like I was a gymnast, then sports, sports, school, school, sports, sports. And by the time I was 21, I was about ready to explode. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to New York City. And that's what I did. And I went by myself, like, no job, no apartment. <laughs> I graduated, and I was like, yes, yeah, bye. Good work. And then I started drinking immediately. And what do you, just, you think because you finally broke from – because it sounds like you, in, in a sense, were workaholicking your way. You survived your childhood and your adolescence through throwing yourself into athletics, into achievements, which is oh, for sure. Which is great. Cause like I said, that that's the real payoff. It's great when you do that. It's awesome. Yeah. And there's no negative. The only negative repercussion is you kind of check out emotionally and you become flat the way I'm assuming your mom kind of was to survive. You, you, it's you like go tunnel survival. vision. Yeah. It's very tunnel vision. And like, there's not a lot of room for stuff to, to, like, you're not, I didn't feel open when I was, just 
a straight eight. Well, not straight A's. I got like a couple C's, but like a good student and an athlete. It was just, I don't know. But when I did move to New York by myself and I didn't know anybody and it was this whole new world, it was amazing. But I didn't have any self-esteem or self-worth because I put, I tend to put people on pedestals. Like in Pueblo, I was hot shit, you know? But what, But when I got, went to New York, I was like, the, all, every single person here is better than it's me. It's hot shit, yeah. It's hot. I am like the worst person in this town. So, that's what I thought. And I, and I think I was like born an alcoholic, so I couldn't, I've never been able to drink like a normal person. So when you say that, does that just mean like from the minute you you started your first sip of alcohol, it was like excessive? Like you, it was never two drinks. It was always like 20. Always, okay. yeah. So from the time, when did you start? The f- the first time I ever got drunk, I was 14. Okay. And I got super hammered and sick. And then I didn't do it again until like I was 17. So a handful of times in high school. And then college, I kept it under control because I was playing basketball and I didn't like being sick and out of shape, so I really controlled it. I would party during the summers, and I'd go crazy, and I'd party during spring break, and I'd go crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> it was – I didn't know. I was like, everyone's going crazy. Yeah, it's, it's kind of in the context of what you're supposed to do. That's what you're – you're trained to to want that. Like, you know, you grew up watching MTV Spring Break and all these movies. And, right. And you're like, well, that's, that's the norm, right? You scream, and you jump in pools with your clothes on. <laughs> And you right. make out people you wouldn't normally even talk to. Just, it, but it was so fun. Like, sure, I had so. It was sort of you know I would be like oh my god I can't believe that I did that. But I think when you're young and you do something quote unquote embarrassing when you're drunk, it's so funny the next day. No, because it's a it's a story and you're yeah. bragging and you're like oh my god it's so crazy where it's so crazy awesome. yeah. <laughs> So you go to New York and you lose your shit because I I think most people lose their shit when you graduate and you have no life skills. It's not like college prepares you for life. There's no class on how to pay your bills. There's no class on how the fuck do I find an apartment? How do I find a job? Like How do I file taxes? There's no class for that, which is really stupid. I wish they would just have like a life skills class. I know. Balance your checkbook. Get your oil changed. (laughs) All that, yeah. I didn't know. And I mean, I was living with my grandma the year before I moved away. So it was like the simplest, easiest existence. And then New York City and I didn't know how to do anything. But I was pretty functional. I I was drunk a lot, but I would wake up and... Make it to work. The dot coms are booming. So there were so many jobs for college graduates. It was in uh, 99. So there were so many jobs. And I had a business degree. So I didn't even know what, like, I didn't really even know how to use, barely use a computer or anything, but they were just hiring people. (laughs) So I got all these random jobs. But I was drunk every single night. And it was before everyone had a computer. And so I was, I found my apartment through, um, a classified newspaper on the corner. <laughs> Remember and, that? Oh, oh the loot. God. The loot. Yellow <laughs> classified newspaper. But um yeah, so I just started partying. Yeah. And it was fun until it wasn't fun anymore. When did it stop being fun? Um, probably when I was about twenty five. So from twenty two to twenty five. I mean I would still have fun, but it started to get a little bit the hangovers were getting worse and um, I needed it more. It became like an obsession. It it became something I thought about a lot or thought about controlling, being like, whoa, I this is this is every night. And and I had started doing comedy uh when I was twenty three, I believe, or twenty four. So I had, so I had been a couple of years in the comedy scene and I was really going at it but I just it became less fun when I became aware of how much I needed it yeah and the hangovers were starting to get a I wasn't bouncing back as quick so and then I just started to try to control it to drink less which is not fun at all 
Because when you're not, when it's just fun and like you don't care, you're like, yeah, I got <laughs> fucked up seven nights a week. Of course. It's awesome. But then I'm like, you know what? Let me try not to do that. <laughs> and then it's horrible. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you can't. Yeah. So so the best is abstinence. I'm assuming. So for seven years, you've been clean now. Mm-hmm. And in those seven years, would you say that you found the root cause of your alcoholism? Well, I just think I have it. I think the root cause of it is that I was born with it, which is basically just a reaction. I have, they call it, um, well, they call it a disease a lot. And I've heard it's been called a mental disorder. And so alcoholics, we have like negative obsessive minds, which I think a lot, a lot of normal people do. Sometimes it's frustrating. We're like, oh, well, that's, of course you're thinking about that. You're an alcoholic. I'm like, you know, I know a lot of normal people who think, have crazy thoughts. But oh, yeah. What's negative obsessive? I think I'm there too. But if, if, yeah, it's, I'm like everyone. I think everybody's wired for addiction. I think all human beings are wired for addiction. And it really, and whether it be sex, food, alcohol, gaming, whatever, whatever it is. And I think we have to actively fight that inclination to self-medicate because i think life is uncomfortable right so what's the the negative obsession is what like the spiraling thoughts it's just the thought the loud negative voice in your head oh yeah yeah i've got that yeah there (laughs) is in there what's going on negative voice. yeah what does your tell you i mean what is (laughs) oh this whole time has been been like you're boring no your voice is annoying (laughs) like that's what's been going on in my head the whole time i love it that's just called being a person it's totally i think it's completely normal but i think for me at least as an alcoholic when i had a couple of drinks it made me feel very comfortable in my own skin oh yeah and very confident and very cute and very entertaining so i'd have like more confidence to tell a story but then alcoholics have an allergy so a craving kicks in that is uncontrollable. So like when you see a heroin addict crawling or like skin and bones, no teeth, scabs on their face, looking for more heroin, that's they call it the phenomenon of craving. So it's like it's it's beyond anything that you can control. So after I would have a couple of drinks, even when I was trying to control it, I forgot that I was trying to control it. I couldn't control it. So that's why I think not having that first drink is super important. Because yeah. you can't control what happens after. And the times that I did, like let's say I did, could only have two drinks at like a dinner party or something, I was white knuckling it. <laughs> I was like, it was so miserable. Freaking. So because you're not fucked up enough. Because two drinks is where I'm done. Like I tap Oh, out. that's amazing. How do you even do that? <laughs> What's the point? Why even have two? Well, because I, I know if I push past that, it's going to be uncomfortable and I'll vomit or See? I'll feel too drunk. And I don't like feeling out of control. I like to feel a little loosey-goosey, but not hammered. I don't like feeling hammered because I'm then I, I just I, I don't like it. I don't like not knowing where I am or what I'm doing or saying. That scares me too much. You're so not I'm a control freak. Thank God. See, I thought I was because before I was preggers. I drink like two glasses every night, more or less, of wine. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> two glasses? Yeah, of red wine. I thought for sure. Oh, I'm, I'm oh like, going to get recovery God. over this. Well, okay. Well, then I don't, I don't feel so bad because I, re- I really miss drinking now that I'm pregnant. I, God damn. <laughs> like, oh, I heard you talk about yeah, that a the, little bit. It's the worst. Past. Like, I don't know how people... But two glasses, what does that do to you? Relaxes you? Yep. Gets me to sleep uh, at the end of the day. I'm on the couch with the husband. We're watching Downton Abbey or, you know, Shaw's of Sunset. And it's just like goofy time, like fun time. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah. Let's unwind. This is it. We did it. You know, and, and uh, but, I, I, you know, honestly, it does make me foggier. Like now that I haven't been drinking, I wake up and I'm like, oh, let's go for a walk. Let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into it. I don't have a headache anymore. My skin looks better. All that stuff. Do you drink red or white? Both, baby. Yeah. Both. Rosé. Like one of each. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's <laughs> summertime now. I like the blush. <laughs> Can't drink it. Can't do it. So anyways, um, well, that's I'm so glad that you're that's huge. Seven years is a huge accomplishment. Thank um, you. So it's genetic for you. And then 
I mean, a component also has to be emotional. I'm assuming with most people that abuse um, anything, right? Yeah. There's got to be something. Well, just it's so uncomfortable. We're con- like, I'm constantly uncomfortable. So if I have an emotion, it feels like there's a magnifying glass on it. And it's the so worst. Dumb. I hate feelings. Aren't they the worst? They're so dumb. <laughs> And they're usually stem from a thought that's not even real. Yeah. Or like true. That's the problem. God damn it. That's the problem. Yeah, those false beliefs. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to this. So I was thinking about resentment um, and my mother. And I, um, for years, I would blame my lack of self-esteem, my inability. I, I, for many years, I was convinced that I was really abnormal. You know, like I was, I was goth in high school and I was very into being weird and... um. You know, I, I just blamed my life on my mother. and But then there's a point where you take responsibility for your own shit. And you can't make excuses about about how you're living. And um, But one way of doing this, for those of you listening and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm not in resentment. I'm not living via negativa. I'm not living reactionarily to someone else. Take an inventory of your unconscious beliefs. Just start there. And they're fucking sneaky. Your unconscious beliefs are sneaky because, well, they're unconscious. It's not something you know you're saying to yourself right. until you go, oh, whoa, that's an, that's a that's what you we were just saying. That's not real. Uh, my voice isn't annoying. I'm not, su- no one's told me I'm sucking at this. So why would I feel like I'm sucking at this? Why? Nobody's indicated to me that I am boring. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's sneaky because you don't always hear the tape that's playing in your brain. And how I found out I had a ton of these is like, um, I was listening to Louise. Hey, I love Louise. <laughs> and, uh, but ask yourself questions like, for instance, I always believed that rich people were evil. Like I grew up believing that. Ask yourself, how do I feel about money, for instance? Right. How do I feel about fitness? How do I feel about my body? How do I feel about accepting love? How do I feel about success? And listen to what your brain tells you. It's, I'm serious. Just sit down and go, how do I feel about uh, success? Do I deserve success? And listen to what your brain shouts back. That's your unconscious belief. And that's what undermines people constantly. That's, that's the shit that sabotages you and makes you drink and makes you eat mm-hmm. and makes you <laughs> spiral and unhappy because you're living in some form. It's a form of resentment, I think. Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, even towards yourself, like, yes, I'm whether you're for me, like whether I'm living the cycle of like old behaviors, a lot of times I'm just really upset with myself or don't think I deserve it or don't think um, I'm smart. All those things and money, too. It's I think. I've sort of had that thing too, just knowing a few rich people and thinking that they're awful people or whatever. (laughs) But then I know tons of rich people who are so cool and kind and love their job and are really good at it and are like, of course, and ask for it. I feel like successful people ask for, basically ask for it because they think they deserve it. And they're not ashamed of it. Nah. Go talk to any successful person. They're never ashamed of what they have. And for the record, poor people can suck too they're shitty poor people oh for sure yeah for sure super rude poor (laughs) people at the bathroom at del taco (laughs) where they denied you access to the toilet give me a token so i can get in there yeah (laughs) token just let people what why why the need to keep the restrooms secret like really what's happening did you did you eat at Del Taco? I always eat at Del Taco. Amber. It's good. It is not good. So is Taco Bell. Taco Bell's great. Del Taco's good. They're Dude, regular beef tacos. But bro, Del Taco is like the bottom rung. It's prisoner food. It's I the worst. I love it. You're an animal. What do you get at Del Taco? Just their regular beef tacos with sour cream. Oh, you're eating the beef there? It's good. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. You death wish. What about the shrimp tacos? That's what I think I deserve. <laughs> That's all I deserve. Don't tell me you eat those no, shrimp tacos. No, no. So you know your boundaries. You know your limits. I would never get a shrimp taco at Del Taco. You, I, I, but they advertise What's it. the difference between Del Taco and Taco Bell? Well, for one thing, uh, Taco Bell, I do believe it's a bit higher grade of meat. 
No, it's it's like magic powder. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got five basic ingredients that make up everything at Taco Bell. It really boils down to the hot sauce and the taco oh, shells. Yeah. And I think that's what's the difference. The hot sauce, in my opinion, at Taco Bell, the mild, it's unbeatable. It's great. Del Taco's hot sauce is dog shit. Sorry. I agree. I agree Ugh. with that. Yeah. So then but what the fuck? Good. Do, do not eat. The, I'm going to bring you crazy. some beef. I'm going to bring you and your baby some beef. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. I'm going <laughs> to... It's so disgusting. Do you eat at White Castle too on the East Coast? You ever been to White Castle? I have, but I've eaten there a couple of times. I don't like it. That's dog shit. I think it's disgusting. Trip nibblers, do you like those? Well, what are those? Exactly. Good. I'm glad you said that. Is that from White Castle? Yeah. It's seasonal. It's during Lent. You've, you like it? No. I would never fucking put a shrimp nibbler from <laughs> shrimp. White Castle in my mouth. <laughs> shrimp at like any kind of fast food place is unbearable. It's unfathomable that anybody would ever put that in their mouth. It's disgusting. Arby's is disgusting too. I won't do Arby's. I feel like Arby's is the bottom of the barrel. I like Arby's. What is going on? <laughs> but what is Arby's is only what pastrami? Roast beef. Ro- what is that? What is roast beef? I, I heard there I, I heard some horrible things about Arby's and I haven't been back <laughs> since. But when I was a teenager I loved it. I love like the those little potato triangles. Those are really good. The triangles? They're like potato cakes. Okay. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, back to this unconscious beliefs. Um, Yeah, I didn't even realize how much I was living in resentment. Uh, At yourself or like other people? No, my mom. Oh, your mom. And my mom to be specifically, specifically, because all those unconscious beliefs that I had were not mine. And that's the point of asking yourself, hey, how do I feel about money, love, my body, uh, my career, all these things? Listen to what your brain tells you, the first answer. That's your unconscious belief. And then also, I found out where those beliefs came from. They weren't mine. I had inherited them from my crazy mom. Those were her beliefs. Uh, You know, rich people are all pieces of shit. That was my mother saying that. Or... um, it just uh, many, many things that were just absurdly irrational that I had picked up from her. So it's, be, it's been a process of like unpacking what's mine and what's hers. And that, and I'm not saying it doesn't have to come from your parents. You can get it from a teacher. Mm-hmm. You can get it from a sibling, from whatever, man. And for some reason, you have this belief that like, uh, for a long time, I thought I didn't like purple. Like, I hate that color. No, you're, my mother hated purple. And so she would never let me have anything purple. Or it was like a stupid shit like that. Where you're like, oh, no, I, I really like that. I like pink. I like purple. We yeah. should call your mom right now and say, you, you know what? I love purple. <laughs> <laughs> crazy bitch. <laughs> she wouldn't even pick up the telephone. My mother doesn't use the telephone because they're listening. She doesn't? No, it's not oh, safe. It's not safe. Come mm. on. <laughs> it's not safe. <laughs> Oh, I used to believe that only rich kids succeeded because they had advantages from growing up in a normal family. Did you ever have that one? What was it again? I only thought that rich kids succeeded in life because they came from money. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, not necessarily money. I I wouldn't think that, but if both of their parents were together yeah. and nice to them oh, yeah. and like communicated like around a dinner table. Oh, God. Don't you hate those and people? And talked about their days. Oh, does that really happen? Does that exist, do you think? It, di- it did. I <laughs> I would go to my friend's house and it would happen. Yeah, it does. I know it does. It happened to my friend, too. <laughs> but then you hung out with her, I'm assuming. And Yeah, I had a couple of friends where I would spend a lot of time at their house. Of course, get the fuck out of yours. I did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and I was like... And I didn't... When I was really in elementary school... It was so confusing to me to, and I would feel bad if I th- thought that our family was less than theirs. I'd be like, no, that, this can't be. But in high school, I was like, laters, I'm going to Tanya's house. <laughs> Tanya. Going to play one-on-one with her dad and have some cake yeah. and tell them about my life because they're going to listen. Yeah. Tanya, you don't mean any Tanyas anymore. Tanya so Martinez. Oh. Yeah, but that's good that you had somewhere to seek refuge and see that it wasn't always, it didn't have to be that way, the yeah. way you had it at home. Well, in middle school, my mom 
remarried, but she married another alcoholic. Cool. Good. But he came out of the bedroom and would drink in the living room. <laughs> we were like, yeah, this guy comes out of his bedroom. He's amazing. What a winner. This guy drinks out in front of us. It was ama- <laughs> It was awesome. That was like my standards yeah. in men. I do this joke on stage where I'm like, yeah, so now my standards in men are really low. I'll see a guy at the grocery store and I'm like, oh my God, he made it here. I'm going to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that interesting, though? And that's what gets programmed into you from childhood is that your expectations for what a man should be are super, super low, right? Whoa. Yeah. So I'm assuming you've had to do some work to undo. Like if a guy has a bed frame, (laughs) I'm like, throw the mattress on the floor. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Lots to do. Just so you know, when I met my husband, he didn't have a bed frame. Really? He's a comic. Yeah. Well, how long have you guys been together? Ten years. Oh wow! See the the yeah, that's incredible. There's hope for those. I'm not oh, saying yeah, you should yeah. fix them, but uh, but yeah, that's so funny. So this other guy just drank out in public. I love it. He drank <laughs> out in the living room. And you're like, wow, this guy's really doing it. This is a good dad. <laughs> now, why do you think your mom sought out these these alcoholics? Because her dad was an alcoholic. <sighs> But my mom's incredibly smart. Fuck. Like she's a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. I know. You know why? Unconscious beliefs rooted yeah. in resentment. Ooh, bam! Let's. T- I want to call my mom. <laughs> Let's call her up. <laughs> I'm serious, and it's it's. I'm telling you, until you until you uncover. Uh oh my god, this is going to sound wackadoodle. Do you know who Louise Hay is? I've heard of her. She's one new agey. She's like Marianne. She's like Marianne Williamson light. Like if you want the entry portal into a Marianne Williamson, go get Louise Hay. Listen to her audio downloads on iTunes. There's she does this thing. It's so embarrassing. I'm even sharing it with you. Called quote mirror work. Mirror Ooh. work. It's so new agey. <laughs> you look at yourself in the mirror and say nice yes. things. Yes. Yes. And she does this thing. You know, she does it in all her seminars. She does it on money, you know, success, love, all this crap. And she does this thing where you're supposed to look in the mirror and you're supposed to say, I love you and see what comes up. It's terrifying. Have you ever done it? No. Go home and do it. And you don't have to tell me what your brain told you back, but it's really terrifying because that's the stuff where you go. Let's start. I mean, there's a million. uh, You're too fat to deserve love or (gasps) no you don't or whatever the fuck it is whatever dark uh unconscious beliefs you've got wired in there that's and that's what i'm saying and if you live out of those then you end up ruining your life your kids lives and because you're living in reaction to somebody who raised you like your mother was just kind of living reactively to what she was given as a child. Right. Instead of going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why am I marrying alcoholics? <laughs> Instead of the first guy going, uh, hey, wait a minute, bad idea. Right. Let's not do this again. Let's steer the ship. And then, you know, making better choices because that's what this is about. What Nietzsche is talking about, uh, what Kierkegaard is talking about is, it's. oh, this is interesting. I didn't even say this. Resentment is a sense of hostility directed at that which one identifies as the cause of one's frustration. That is an assignment of blame for one's frustration, right? So if you have someone to point to and go, well, it's my mother's fault that I'm a, uh, I'm a fuck up. Like, for instance, you, if you married an alcoholic, you'd be like, yeah, but it's my mom's fault. She raised me right. to to do this and that. And then you live your life reactively and blaming and stuff. What I find interesting is... Because I'm attracted, and in sobriety, I I have fallen in love with an alcoholic, and knowingly, the patterns of my family, and, but it's hard for me to be attracted, like physical, like, so I feel like we're designed to do some work on ourselves, to break the cycle, to reach us to like a, a higher level of thinking, because even though I knew all that, like, Oh, he drinks too much. My father drank too. My grandpa. Oh, here, here's a cycle. I still, I still wanted it. Of course, because it feels familiar. Because <sighs> that's what feel in your guts, in your unconscious mind. That's what feels good. Or no, not good, but it feels familiar. And the other way, the nor a healthy way, doesn't feel familiar and therefore not as good. I always tell, I, you know, you have friends that are fuck ups and they keep, <laughs> I have friends who keep dating shitty people and I'm like, basically 
just go against your wiring. Like, yeah. if you're attracted to this guy, right. stop. I know. Stop. <laughs> go with someone else immediately because your wires are crossed. Yeah. You're never going to pick well. It's to the point, like, when I fall in love with somebody, I'm like, oh, God, you're a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. But it's so sexy, right? Oh, it's the best. And they're like little science projects that you can fix <laughs> and not focus on my problems. Yeah. No, that's true because the ones that you're really attracted, but usually you can tell. You can tell. It's when you have an irrational attraction to them where you're obsessive. Oh, or where they're not reciprocating and that gets you even more or there's drama and conflict. That's how you can tell you're in that sort of relationship versus a healthy one. And but you're in my intuition the entire time is screaming run. Right. But like what I wanted was to stay. Well, I didn't really want to stay, but I couldn't help like I couldn't. It became like another addiction. Because if you stay, maybe you can you can work out your childhood drama. You know, I think it's an unconscious thing where you go, if I fix this, then I fix... Then I undo everything. Everything. Yeah. And it's just no way. It's psychotic. It's insanity. (laughs) It's fucking crazy. Uh, (laughs) So, okay, back to resentment. The sense of weakness or inferiority and perhaps jealousy in the face of the cause being the target of your resentment generates a rejecting slash justifying value system or morality which attacks or denies the perceived source of one's frustration. This value system is then used as a means of justifying one's weaknesses by identifying the source of envy as objectively inferior, serving as a defense mechanism that prevents the resentful individual from addressing and overcoming their insecurities and flaws. The ego creates an enemy in order to insulate itself from culpability. Uh, How fucking crazy and scary is that? So you go, uh, that person's bullshit. You know, I resent, let's, let's use my mother again. I, I hate my mom. She's such a piece of shit. I'm so much better than her. <laughs> and in constantly doing that and putting her down and being like, oh, she was crazy. Oh, she's so terrible. Then I never have to address my own flaws and my own insecurities. If I keep living in this constant remembrance of resentment of like. And of, compare, of and you're comparing. comparing. Yeah. Com- to compare is despair. <laughs> heard that one before too <laughs> compare and despair <laughs> yeah yeah essentially if you keep going over it I mean, i'm sure everyone's had an ex somebody or, or, or weird person i don't know do you ever have those people in your life where you're just like that fucking piece of shit yeah that fucking <laughs> motherfucker piece what an asshole what a piece and then if you keep doing that you never have to go well wait a minute why does that person triggering me why is that person a quote piece of shit. They're just doing them. Like, wait, what? Why do I care so much? Uh, well, I think resentment's interesting with people that you have long term relationships with, whether you're family Ooh. or you're dating. But you could have these, for me, these tiny little resentments, like an assistant to somebody who's working. You know what I Like somebody that's not emailing me back oh, that I don't yeah. have to talk to that much. I've never met, just like these tiny little fucking. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. Like, yeah, I do I'm, that too. Just little stuff like that that just eats away. And I'm never going to take out. I mean, maybe I will like do something passive aggressive or try really try to control the situation because they're not doing it the way that I want or what, whatever. But it's sickening. I feel like I get acid in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I just had that with somebody who didn't respond to an email about like a check I didn't get or something. Oh, and I took yeah. it personally. Yeah. Like, Oh, you fucking what, bitch? You think you're not gonna respond to me, <laughs> right? And then you go at even you go at it even harder, and it's like, oh boy, I, don't, I you know, and oh. and it's funny that what we can create doing? their own story for like she's yeah. not responding to you because she is trying to hurt you. Yeah, it's not because she went yeah. to lunch or like right. her mom died or something. She's right. doing it to destroy you. Yeah. She's getting back at me, that fucking bitch. Which is, that's another crazy unconscious thing. And then it goes into blah, blah, blah. And then hope, I mean, let's hope that we're evolved enough to not react. That's yeah. the danger is when Ugh. you act on those irrational resentments. There's a thing in 12-step program that they say, um, pause when agitated mm. and uh, something with pen and tongue, like... 
there's there's a phrase i forget it i have dementia um it's fine I, I constantly forget things on this show but yeah restraint from pen and tongue Ooh, that's good because you're in reaction mode you're 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 not sane yeah so don't do anything and then maybe you'll have a better idea tomorrow yeah yeah that's a huge huge lesson don't don't react right away and i've had to learn that recently i would say in the last year or two of like don't spiral because you, like you said, there's something, something's going on. Like, let's say that woman didn't respond to my email. I'm assuming she's out to get me. Right. I'm assuming she's ignoring me. I'm assuming she's hiding from me. And then I go crazy. And then I pick up the phone. And then I'm going to call that bitch. And then I'm going right. to tell this bitch what. And then and now I've ruined this relationship. And once you ruin a relationship, like in business, it's really hard to go back. <laughs> it's really hard to repair it once you've damaged um, so now I pause, I sit on it for a day or two. Yeah. And then uh, there's a much better solution. Than, and then she emails you yes. being so sorry yeah, yeah. that it took so long. <laughs> Which is what she did today. Oh, yeah. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> Which is what she did. Oh, yeah. We sent it out on Friday. Sorry. And you're like, oh, well, you should have fucking said so, bitch. You know, and then I get mad because she didn't say that in the first place. How dare you not answer me? Yeah. You know, how dare you have other things in your life? Yeah, and most so most resentments are like I feel like are are caused by like like selfish thinking and self obsession because I when I'm mad at somebody like that to think that they're really planning a plot to get me <laughs> when they're not thinking about me at all. No, because they're in their own crap. They're oh, in their own worlds. Yeah, and that's the thing about the external oppressor that exists in this form of resentment, like in Nietzsche's resentment, resentment. Um, you don't have to take responsibility for your own weaknesses if there's an external oppressor. And here's the thing about the, quote, external oppressor. Sometimes there are, you know, let's say the Russians come take over this country or whatever the hell, you know. Right. That's an external oppressor. But I'm talking in terms of day-to-day first world problems. Uh, the, the, the wacky part is that there is no external oppressor. There's just the internal one, which is your brain telling you, this bitch is going to get me, blah, 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 blah. That's the scariest part is how much your mind has uh, control over you. And what you're willing to do to not take responsibility of your own. What does it say oh, about not taking responsibility? One. We don't have to take responsibility for your weaknesses. If, if, there's, if there's somebody ex- to blame. Yeah. That's big. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Why Why do I have to take responsibility? Uh, I had a crazy mom. So yeah. mm, I'm never going to have a healthy relationship, right? I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to be like everybody else because uh, my mom was crazy. And that's really easy. That's really easy to get sucked into. When did you start? therapy or like getting over it or deciding to detangle your own. I mean, I've shit. I think it's taken me like I left when I was 18. So I gave her the first, I I always like to think that she fucked up the first 18 years (laughs) and then it took the next 18 or so to get my life back. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's that it's about that long, but I've decided from the time I left the house that this bitch would not have my, she wouldn't have my my life, my future. She can't. She wouldn't have it. You know. Yeah. Now there's this story about like Holocaust survivors too, where some people can get over it, and they're like, "Yeah, Hitler took you know four years of my life. He's not going to take the rest." Right. Which is what? That's I mean, I'm beautiful. not likening my life to the Holocaust by any stretch. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, resentment can dictate your life because once you start acting out of resentment, it's very, 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 very toxic which is really scary and also as you evolve you realize the person or thing you resent isn't all horrible right like your mother i'm sure you've come to have empathy for as your father and maybe your stepdad i'm not sure yeah for sure just just by not realizing that they weren't doing it they weren't out to get me right at all right it was just them living in their how how they I don't know I just didn't take it like they were just out to get me I sort of like you know what 
I don't know if they did that the best that they could. You they know, didn't. yeah, I hate that. Saying. They did. They didn't. No, I hate. That. <laughs> I hate. Well, they did the best they could. Really? No, <laughs> no they didn't. Because the best would have been everything else. Right. The, right, right, the right. best would have been getting out of your room. Yeah, my. I think my mom <laughs> did. My dad. No. But yeah, I, I feel way more at peace. I still have, you know, my mother and I still butt heads, but we're we're pretty much the same person, but with different like nervous systems because she's not emotional. She's like, what's the solution? Let's get to it. And I need to process and think and talk. And so sometimes we we can still get in these little like we get we get silent and like scorn each other a little bit. But, you know, but it's but I love her. I think she's like a superhero for what she had to go through and how she did it. And much, now she's much softer. I feel like she's sort of admit is realizing that she's a little, was a little tough and she's softened up a lot. She's taking yeah. a breathing class. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Age does that to parents. They get softer. Yeah. They get a little, uh, I don't know, more emotional, a little more, less in their own worlds. Right. And more like, Oh, what are you doing here? What's your, what are you about? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, look, uh, with my mother, for instance, I've started to see things that I actually liked about her. I liked that she was a classy European lady. She was very clean. She, I loved her. She was beautiful. My mother had beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, always with red lipstick, which is something I do on stage. I love red lipstick, red nails. Um, she was the life of the party when we were out in public. Yeah. Um, she loved telling jokes, dirty jokes, nothing. My mother had very few boundaries uh, in terms of what she talked about with people. And I, there's a, hello, I'm doing that right now for a living. And right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I owe to her that was positive and I, you can't, uh, you can't hate them forever. You can't live out of resentment forever. It doesn't work after a while. No. It feels good for a while to be like, yeah, I'm going to that's that's your fault yeah. and i don't have to do anything about it because it's your fault yeah. and then it doesn't then you're like uh-oh it's not working anymore this doesn't make me feel good it's not doing anything for me at all i better no. i better figure this out yeah and again those thoughts of this is your fault those are even unconscious unconscious things man that's the that's the hard part of this is that you know, I have friends and, and people I'm related to who make the same mistakes over and over and over. And I know the unconscious belief is, well, I mean, that's how I was raised. I just, I don't know any better. I didn't grow, I, I didn't grow up like you. I didn't have, and you're like, yeah, but bro, that's a cop out. And you know, that's a cop out. Yeah. You know it. And some, on some level, I feel like people know it's a cop out <laughs> unless they're just not there. Mentally, you know, some people. I think it takes that. a while to to realize that it is a cop out because sometimes when you're just so in it, you don't you don't even know you have no idea. For me, for years, I had no idea that I was doing anything wrong, or I couldn't. I couldn't. I wasn't above the thoughts that I was thinking. I was yeah. just in them. Yeah. See, how that's interesting. Yeah, because there are layers to thought, right? Mm-hmm. There's what we're what we're doing now, and then there's the meta layer of meaning of the behind the thoughts and i don't know i think i think that can be learned i think that people for sure yeah can open their minds and their consciousness and and go oh there's kind of a subtext there's a there's a a commenter on these things there's two thoughts actually happening right wow it's scary we didn't think about where the thoughts come from (laughs) that's that i fucking have no idea man the meat and cheese we're just meat Meat inside of bones, just meat, meat piles with like neurons firing and then emotional maps that were created, I guess. <sighs> so heavy. It's too much, right? Amber? Is your brain I can't exploding? take it. I can't take it. <laughs> God. Well, neither of us can drink, so. Oh. What do you do? So tell me, seriously. So you have a feeling. Uh, it doesn't feel good. What do you do? What do, what do sober people do at the end of the day to unwind? God. I don't... Are you asking, like, what I do when I get, like, uncomfortable or just... Or... 
I, I, I yeah. well, I recognize that it's going to pass. I know whatever I'm going through, I sort of, I have to see if it's in a resentment. And if it is a resentment, if I'm like pissed off at somebody, I have to sort of take responsibility for my own behavior, which makes me feel not so mad at them being like, you know what? This is half my problem. I can, I can control how I handle this. It's not all their fault. And then I feel better. But I think just, and I recognize like when I'm fantasizing or assuming coming up with this like crazy negative scenario, that's not even real. I have to, hopefully I recognize it and being like, Oh, you're just a crazy person. And then I feel better (laughs) because I know it's not real. Cause it's not real. Right. Most of what we think, most of what we fear never comes true. Most of our illusions are not real. That's that's the scary part. Yeah, and that make that makes me feel better when I start spiraling out of control. <laughs> but when I'm in like a really uncomfortable situation, if it's like financial or, you know, my grandmother recently died and I was just so like s- sad, but then I was able to shift it a little bit and and to being grateful that I got to spend so much time with her and before she died, blah, blah, blah. Like just sort of recognizing and then shifting. Yeah. So that's huge. The reprogramming, the shifting is huge. And that's what's taken me years uh, in therapy to learn like, Oh, there's another thought that I can reach for. It's not always gloom and doom. Right. Yeah. Just positive energy. And just knowing like, when, say if I'm a depressed, say for a few days in the room, I'm like, this is this is for sure gonna. I just know it's gonna end. Where before, like when I was drinking and hungover all the time, it just felt like this never-ending hell. This ne- I don't you know when you've been th- maybe at the darkest point in your life, you really believe that it's gonna feel like that forever. Yeah. So that is way better. Just being like, you know what? I feel like shit today. It's not a big deal. Um. Maybe I'll go exercise or, you know, whatever. But or I could just be like, uh, maybe I'm just not going to feel that great today. Yeah, there's not so, you're not supposed to be happy all the time. You can't and um, you can't escape the dark times. You can't escape being unhappy for a, a spell. It's just part of the whole cycle of it. There's just going to be days where you're like, meh. Yeah. Meh. What can I do? That's OK. And that's totally fine because eventually you get back to happy and. Or whatever, yeah, and it's fine. But I mean, like, literally, what do you do at the end of the day? I mean, because <laughs> I'm having to do other things now, and I'm not liking it as much as my two glasses of wine. Well, I I wake up super early now, so I go to bed. Or since I I'm working on the book, my deadline's September first, so I'm sort of being putting myself through boot camp, like an old behavior, sort of very strict schedule. But I I. If I'm not hanging out with, I'm very, I go for a a hike like later at night or I go to a movie or I stay home or I go to bed early and wake up at five in the morning to write. Like I've been waking up at five in the morning to write. So right now my life, usually before I started writing this book, I would do stand up a few nights a week, which would keep me busy socially. But what's cool is like I can actually stay home and not feel like a loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not, I, I used to always feel like I'm missing out on something or I have to have a boy. Nah, I've never really been the type of girl that needs a boyfriend, but I don't know. I just chill out. Do you watch TV? Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. I don't like TV. Yeah. I watch like, I like documentaries and Orange is the New Black and I watched Bud- Bloodline. Did you watch Bloodline? No, is that good? Yeah. Oh, I should check that out. It was sort of sl- like there were parts where that were slow that I was like, I'm not, I'm not watching a d- another episode, but then they hooked me again. Oh, mother. Watch Bloodline. I'll check it out. I love everything on Netflix more or less. Although I feel like I watch dumb things because I have a profile and they're like, here's some stuff we recommend for you and it's all like legally blonde one and two <laughs> really it's like these horrible rom-com i'm like what i mean i know i watch cheesy stuff guys but could you not mine are all like stories from death row locked up abroad <laughs> oh i love that show lady kills nine men i'm like yeah <laughs> i love it you know i love uh ladies that kill there's not a lot there's not an, enough uh, female serial killers. My Eileen Warner. I know I love her. I'm a huge fan. She's 
Yeah. Amazing. Huge fan. I just watched her documentary for the second time. I missed someone's going away party because I wanted to watch her documentary and I had already seen it. Yeah. She, there's there's not many though. There's like her and, you know, a handful of other broads, right? Yeah. She, she uh Did you watch Monster? Of course, multiple oh. times. Shit. I, I could tap real good. <laughs> Fuck you, fucking bitch. <laughs> I love that part where she goes on a job interview. Oh, and she yells at the secretary, yeah. fuck you, Leslie, yeah. as she's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> Leslie. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's why my husband watches all these murder shows, and I can't get into it because it's usually men killing women. Uh, so I'm like, motherfucker, why do I want to watch girls getting killed? I'm a woman. It's, right. We're always vulnerable out in the world. I don't want to see this. Do you watch Snapped? No. That's a good series. Yeah. I think it's on Lifetime. It's but it's women who end up it's usually it's not it's not like it's usually greedy ladies killing their husbands and Oh, I hate that. Gold yeah. diggers. I hate gold diggers, yeah. But some of them are pretty some of them might be self defense. Okay. But I like those one. murders. Those are my favorite. Self defense murders. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Amber? You know what? what that's been deep bro thank you so much for joining us me <laughs> thanks us. for having me <laughs> you guys look up look up amber she's at amber tozer t-o-z-e-r on twitter she is on facebook and also does your book have a title yet sober stick figure sober stick figure coming out in 2016 and what is the name of the press um running press running press buy her book i'm sure i'll we'll reannounce it when it comes out or come back thank you when the book comes out so yeah you can for sure plug it again i'll give you a copy yeah i love it i love the premise thank you so much and um all right let's go eat our feelings you want to eat some yeah yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> del taco never <laughs> now what i don't know philosophize with philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.